today's reading is Ephesians,、uh, chapter four, verse first to verse thirteen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. This is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, "When He ascended on high, He took many captives and gave gifts to His people." What does He ascended mean? Expect that He also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. In order to fill the whole universe, so Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do please keep that passage open or switched on, depending on your、um, medium you're using to read it. And we're going to be looking at, at that for the next few minutes together. My name is Morris. I'm one of the leaders of the church here. I'll be opening this bit of the Bible up to us today, and I'm just going to pray before we、uh, read together,、uh, listen together. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, which speaks to us so clearly. And we thank you that it reveals Jesus to us. Jesus, who is always gentle, patient, kind, who is never surprised by what we're like, how we behave, who's never tired of us, and how we pray today that your Spirit would speak clearly to us, so that we see Jesus and are formed like Him. We pray that in Jesus' name, Amen. So we are doing this short、uh, three-week series called Recovering, and it's about recovering things that we might have forgotten or lost or、uh, not remembered during the whole period that we were separated from each other.、Uh, it feels almost like a memory now, but this time last year. I wonder if you were in church. Can you remember what it was like? Even this time last year, we were sitting two seats apart from each other. I had to give a strict notice: do not talk to anyone else here. It's like the opposite of normal notices, and we were allowed to mingle somewhat outside, as long as we weren't too close to each other.、Uh, luckily, the police never came to check us out. Because sometimes we didn't quite follow all of those rules. Because of that, there's a chance that we have got into patterns, ways of thinking, ways of relating to other Christians, which aren't super healthy. We were instructed for a year 
to really, for more than a year, to minimise who we connected with. And of course, what most of us did when we were told to do that was we narrowed it down to people that we wanted to see, who it was easy to be with. We formed bubbles, as we were told to, with uh, friends, with family. You know, when you were limited to who you could see, you had to, you know, limit it to people who were, you were already close to. And so it may be that we've forgotten and need to recover what the Bible calls grace, which basically means generously making room for people who aren't easy or straightforward. Uh, we don't need that yet. Thank you, Mark. Just leave the first slide up. That'd be great. Yeah, great. Thank you. Uh, Last week we talked about recovering Jesus. We dwelt on a wonderful description of him in the Bible. We discovered that God the Father delights in his son Jesus and he delights in him because he has this endless care, love, gentleness for people who need it. So God has always loved Jesus but the thing God loves about Jesus that delights him about his son is the way his son loves us. As I know my weakness, I discover in the Bible that Jesus loves extending grace and kindness to me in my weakness and mess. But we're going to think today about the implications of that for us. Like the children's talk, if there are only teddies to collect to be in my new church, there will only be teddies in the church. If Jesus' invitation is only for people who know their need, who know they're messed up, who are broken and get things wrong and need to receive forgiveness, there will only be people who are broken and messed up and get things wrong and need to, be, need to receive forgiveness. Those will be the only people in a church. Just in the same way, there's no point in complaining in my teddy church that there's no astronauts. There's no point coming to church complaining that everybody is messed up and not sorted. Every person who is a Christian is a Christian because they have admitted at some point they're weak. They get things wrong. We have spent time enjoying Jesus' grace to people like that. We're all bruised reeds. That's why we're here. So we should expect a gathering of people who trust Jesus to have plenty of weaknesses, plenty of problems, plenty of things they get wrong, even some nastiness and hurt. Because those are the things, aware that he loves us, that's what makes us love him. There are only teddies here. You can only get in by being a teddy, admitting you need help. Now Jesus is very happy to make space for you. Like we saw last week, Jesus loves people like that. But being in a community of people like that who Jesus loves is going to involve you, it's going to involve me making space for people who have their own problems, the type of people Jesus loves. And it could be, as I've said, for two years of drawing our boundaries very close, like we were told to do, and so selecting who comes into our lives, like who can help us out and who do we want to see, that we've forgotten the discipline, the joy of showing grace to people who we wouldn't have chosen, but who Jesus loves. 
Just uh, when you read a command in the Bible, like the one in Ephesians 4.2, be completely humble and gentle, it's easy to jump straight to just feeling condemned. Well, I'm never humble or gentle. Gosh, how awful to read the Bible. I'd better stop. Or maybe to jump to think like, yeah, I'm going to go out tomorrow and I'm going to be much more humble and gentle. Set my face to it. I will be humble and gentle. People who respond to commands like that tend to not be very humble and gentle, in my experience. We just need to get in our heads then the way commands work in the Bible. This will come up on the screen. A little uh, diagram to show you how commands are supposed to work. So there's the command at the top of this little cycle. Um, For example, a command to be completely humble. My first response to that is to acknowledge that I'm not completely humble, that I get it wrong. That should be my first response to any command in the Bible, to say, I'm really not good at this. And as I find myself being not humble, not patient, not gracious, I go to Jesus and enjoy what we discovered last week, that he loves people like that. He's not waiting for people to become gentle and patient and good before he loves them. He loves welcoming people who get commands all wrong. But what you find is when you enjoy Jesus' kindness, when you know him, you're formed to be more humble. And we want to go on that journey today with this passage. We do not want to set out from here saying, oh, look, there's commands here. I'm going to set my face to making sure I obey them better. We want to go out from here knowing where we haven't done it, not worried or condemned by that because Jesus loves helping people in their weakness. But as we're helped by Jesus, he makes us humble, gentle, patient. So, first thing that we see then in this passage, this should come up on the screen, live a life worthy. Let me ask you this. How do you feel if you see in the news a lottery winner winning loads and loads and loads of money? And then you read a news story, say two years later, and you discover they just spent all of their money on themselves and they're skint now, but not because they gave it all to like Oxfam, because they like built a huge house and bought 10 Ferraris and took loads of drugs. How do you feel about that person? You can answer into yourself. Or how do you feel about politicians who have vast inherited wealth of their own? Their parents have given them loads of money, but they then, when they rule, they really crush the poor and they don't do anything to help poor people. How do you feel about people like that? Or more personally, how do you feel about the people that you are always inviting around for dinner who never ever ask you back? How do you feel? I think we all sense in those situations there's something wrong. We use the word should. If you've, uh, you know, got loads of money out of nowhere, you should be generous to other people. If you're constantly receiving welcome and hospitality from others, you should be welcoming and hospitable. There's something like that going on when Paul says in verse 1 of this passage, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. People who receive generosity should be generous. Now let's sort this out. The calling of Jesus to come to him is not based on you doing good stuff. His gentle call and care for you, his persistence with you, his generous grace to you, that is not dependent on anything you do. He will always be like that towards you. You can change that. It's just what he's like. You could behave in any way 
and his posture to you would still be patience and gentleness and care, even if you don't care about him at all. But maybe you accept what I've just said, that when you experience great generosity, you should pour out generosity to other people. Maybe you don't accept that. Maybe you do accept Jesus' generosity and that doesn't affect the way you are at all. Well, don't worry. Jesus doesn't get tired of you and your hard-heartedness. There's no threat that he'll get rid of you. But, you know, pray that he warms you up. But Paul makes a plea for verse 1. He says, I urge you, I plead with you, seeing as you have such a brilliant Lord who is generous like that, please walk in that way to yourself. We know that from the word should. Generosity should inspire generosity. There are more reasons for that we can get to, but I think we can all see the reality of that with lottery winners or politicians or dinner invitees. It's worth saying there are people who think, um, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, oh, well, I can do that by myself. As long as I'm getting on with being a Christian in my day-to-day life, uh, that's fine. Chapter 4, verse 2 makes it clear that you can't. The only way to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, Jesus' generosity to you, is to live in community with other people. You know, live a life worthy of the calling, be completely humble and gentle. I mean, I'll be honest with you, being completely humble and gentle and patient, I find that super easy when I'm by myself. You know, when I'm by myself, I am really patient. I'm not impatient at all. These words only come into play if you're engaging with others. So if you think of church, as you know, it's nice or useful for me to get on with what I need to do, Jesus slightly wants to correct you. He says the only way that the generosity of, serv- of the servant to people who need it can be walked in is through the generosity of those people to real other people who need it in community. The generosity of Jesus is sort of made real, is made seeable in the way we treat others in a community. The way of walking in a worthy way is with others. You can't walk in a Jesus way by yourself. Now you might think, okay, well you're a pastor, so it's a little bit self-serving of you to go on about the importance of church. Um, You know, hands up, I am self-interested here. But I do want to say, it's just clear, isn't it, the only overspill of there being a Lord like Jesus, who's consistently generous to people who need it. The only overspill of that could be a community, people who are like that. And this is the thing we need to clock, why we need these commands, because obviously that is going to be a community filled with people to whom the call of mercy and need and grace has appealed. You know, if you can only collect teddy bears, there will only be teddy bears in the gathering. If the call is to people who need mercy and grace and help, there will only be people here who are like that. And that's what Paul's spelling out here. How are we going to get on when the church is full of people like that? He uses these words, humility, thinking in a low way of yourself less of your own importance. That shouldn't be that hard for us. 
because the only reason we are here is because we think of ourselves in that way. People who need help from Jesus. That's my qualification that I'm a bruised reed. What's more, we learn in the Bible, God teaches us through the weak. It's the people who are weakest and most messed up of the most to teach us about God. Now, can I say, in our church, this can be particularly challenging. You may have picked up in our church, there's quite a lot of people who are professionals. They've been teachers or managers or doctors for a long time. And they're used to being listened to in the environments they live in. And so it can be difficult to come into church, this hodgepodge of people who look very different and think, I ought to lower myself and listen to others. Well, if your educational CV might impress some people, and that's probably true of me, I will tell you the people I have learned most from in this church are the people whose CVs look much less impressive than mine. The people with whom I've got a language barrier, the people you might label as big sinners. They're the ones who can teach us in God's economy. We're all here because we're bruised reeds, so we're completely humble and we're completely gentle. The thing I love about Jesus is that he will never crush you. I find that warms my heart because I think I could be easily crushed, but Jesus will never crush me. Well, if that's true about me, that's what attracts you to Jesus, that he never crushes people. That's probably true of everyone else here. We're probably all easily crushed. And be completely patient. You know, Jesus doesn't get tired of us. He never flips out, loses his temper, cuts us off. And if we enjoy and know and glory in a Jesus who's like that, that's how we are to one another. And he says the actual thing to do, I love it, it's very straightforward, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. There was a comedy character, I can't remember, is she coming up on the screen? I can't remember. Miranda, which is a very sort of middle-aged commentary, comedy to love. So sorry, young people, you don't know who this is. Uh, Miranda was a sitcom, and she had a friend called Tilly, who was always answering her phone at the table. Very rude. And when Tilly was answering her phone in a conversation, she'd, her phone would beep, she'd pick it up and she'd go, bear with, bear with. Bear with, bear with. And it's actually a very good illustration of what Paul's talking about here. She was right to use that phrase. She's really getting on everyone else's nerves. Everyone else is having to wait for her in her rudeness and weakness. But Paul says that's just what Christians do for each other. You should expect to have people who aren't really on top of what it is to be a functional person if Jesus' offer is to bruised reeds. So bear with one another, put up with other people. You know, church life is full, full of putting up with behavior, personalities, people you might not like or choose. So you need humility. If someone is not behaving brilliantly and getting something wrong and they're abrasive and rude, and you think of yourself as very important and significant. You're not really going to cope with someone being like that. You're not going to bear with them. 
Someone is, uh, you're going to need gentleness. If someone is doing something that requires putting up with you, having discomfort, you're going to need gentleness to not kick off, basically. And if, you know, people are like this, bruised reeds, people who mess up, people who might not be totally functional human beings, because that's the type of person that Jesus appeals to, you're going to need patience. Now, I'll be honest, this is a struggle for me. I am not a patient person. Patience for me is a battle. But I don't get to say about this passage, well, I'm not a patient person, so, you know, everyone's going to have to live with it. I am treated patiently by Jesus and formed in patience to others. Let's talk about how this applies right now. I would say, given that we've all been through over the last two years, everybody's patience is wearing pretty thin. And we had that period where we had to close down and select who to be friends with. And most of us picked a friend or family member that we really, really liked. And so this open generosity of welcoming people we have to bear with, it could have evaporated. And I just want to be unapologetic about saying we need to pray to Jesus to get that back. Some people are unapologetic the other way. They've begun saying, oh, well, coming to a church with people too different to me is a hassle. And I don't want to do it. I'm going to find easier people. And I would say in our church family, this hasn't been huge fallings out, although there may well be some of those. We've just learned to avoid people who might require patience or humility or gentleness. We don't have time for them. I've shared my own struggle with patience. As someone who's a fellow struggler, I want to urge you to not give up, to recover grace because the servant who we love, loves weak and broken people. He loves that the church is full of people you have to bear with. I love being loved by Jesus who bends and cares and doesn't get tired and gently carries and I want to live a life worthy of that calling. I urge you to do it too. I love the way Paul says, Paul is not um, immune to a little bit of emotional blackmail now and again. And I love the way he says, 4 verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Same way to start, because what has being in prison got to do with like telling people to be patient with each other? Well, I think what he's doing this, he's saying, listen, guys, this thing we're doing of receiving grace from Jesus and pointing to him, you know, I'm in prison for that. So is it too much to ask you to be patient with that annoying person? Last week on Sunday night, we had a lovely uh, Christian from Ukraine come and talk to us at the church prayer meeting. It was just like such a privilege to pray for him together and his family. And he was talking about his parents who are Christians in Kiev. And he said, there's a bomb shelter in the basement of their building. So they're going down there whenever the sirens go. But his mum is like taking food from the church and preaching the gospel to people and for people to be- become Christians last week. He just like said that as they went. And I sort of feel like, okay, If Christians in Ukraine can be like telling the gospel in a bomb shelter, I can learn to be patient. 
Uh, people have different callings at different times, different vocations at different times. Theirs is to do that at the moment. Be prisoners for the Lord. Ours is to walk in humility with the people God's put us near. That's the main thing we see. Two more things we see, but they're much shorter. You may be wondering, what about really serious stuff? Like, what about if someone's really messing up the life of other people in the church? What about abusive, destructive situations? Well, I think the same thing still applies. We should still assume we're getting it wrong. We should still approach the other person gently. We should not give up on them. We should be patient. And we should bear with minor slights, things that don't matter, we should put up with them. But is this just all sort of creating conflict avoiders and doormats? Well, it's clear, I think. I think this is the next slide, Mark. I think uh, it's clear we uh, never flip out because people aren't respecting me. You know, I'm humble, I'm patient. doesn't matter if people are disrespecting me. We don't take on people who need a good telling off. But there may be a reason we have to say or receive something hard or difficult. Because the work God is doing in the church might be being disrupted. And Paul uses this phrase in Ephesians 4 that with fellow strugglers, we might sometimes have to speak or hear the truth in love. One of the things I think is true is that Christianity is the only force in the world that really actually brings equality, oneness. And we must behave in a way that protects the oneness of the church. That's what Paul goes on to say in verses 4 and 5. He says there's one body of Jesus. That is, the person who's getting on your nerves, they're as much in the church as you. There's one hope. It's a good thing to think through. This person who you're really struggling hard to be patient with, you're going to be in heaven with them. You share the same hope. There's one faith, the trust in Jesus that makes you a Christian. It makes them a Christian. There's no levels here. There's one baptism. I was talking to Connect about baptism on Friday night, which was fun. One of the things we were talking about was like baptism is not for special Christians who've reached the higher level. It's for anyone who knows Jesus. And there's one God and Father of all. Now that applies to me first. I don't get to step in and interrogate other people as if I'm higher than them, better than them. But it also applies to seeing other people disrupting the oneness of the church. There might be a time where you humbly, gently, patiently speak the truth in love. But think about your tone. Is your tone one of gentleness, patience, humility, a fellow sufferer and struggler? Or think about your part. Do you step into those situations apologising for you get what you got wrong first? Maybe your, you know, action in church is to steer away all the time from people who aren't like you. Every step we take in those directions is a step away from this truth. There's one church, all welcomed in the same way. And that does mean moments will come where things have to be humbly and gently and lovingly corrected. 
I should expect that to happen to me and expect with humility, gentleness and patience to do it for others. Remember, there are only teddy bears here. There are only broken, messed up people who need help. I expect to be one of them. I expect to have to help people like that. You may be wondering, uh, you know, feel like the majority of your life happens outside of church. What's this got to do with that? Well, I would say church can be very good training for developing these characteristics in all of your life. The character you need to grow in, you'll grow in it here. Life can be about embodying the servant we worship because he's kind. Here's the last thing that we see. And I want to talk about science fiction briefly. Any Star Trek fans here? One. Good. Well done. You'll understand too. Good. There's this uh, group of people in Star Trek called the Borg. Uh, They should appear on the screen. And the Borg, uh, basically, uh, if the Borg gets you, then you turn into one of the Borg. You lose all of your individuality and you just become like part of the Borg. And there are organisations that work like that today, but probably best not to name them. We don't want church to become like that. That's how this could be read. Well, if I'm just always lowering myself, humility, patience, am I, do I just disappear under other people's needs and wants? But do you see in verse 7 that Jesus loves diversity? There's this amazing picture Kelly read to us of Jesus went to heaven and what he loves to do for the church is pour out different gifts and characteristics from heaven onto different people in the church. The church is not the Borg, where we all become the same. Jesus from heaven makes us different to each other. That's partly why church is a bit tricky, because we're not all good at the same things. So the call to humility and patience is not a call to erase yourself. It's the call to ask. As you look at every person around you, What has Jesus given this person that's a gift to me, to this church? How can I see Jesus' generosity in their difference to me? No, we don't need to imagine what Jesus is like. He is gracious and warm and generous to people who are weak and bruised and sinful and just plain bad. He is, lot like, he is like that. We don't need to imagine it. He is not tired of you. He loves to welcome people like that. But let's imagine the church that worships Jesus like that. Can you imagine a church where we step into each other's lives with humility? Where we treat each other's weaknesses with gentleness? where we go to other people's struggles we have with them with patience. Can we imagine a church where diversity doesn't mean we all clump in groups of people like us at the end, but we approach people who are different to us, looking for where Jesus has gifted them to bless me? Can you imagine the church that says, we've forgotten how to do this, because we were told to siphon off our lives for so long. But we can recover becoming like Jesus, who loves bruised reeds. This community of people who are only here because they know we need him. 
Don't walk away because it's uncomfortable. Step in to learning what he's like.